everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not writing about being outside, I actually am outside. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach. And we just got back a few days ago from our first ever vacation vacation in Costa Rica. Uh, it was pretty sweet. Lots of dogs and iguanas and a monkey, um, a raccoon that seemed really friendly, uh, a lot of really good wildlife, uh, and a lot of good relaxation, good walks. Um, I still spoke at the Ontario Cycling uh, Women's Coaching Conference, despite being a time zone away. I uh, managed to Skype with 20 awesome women, and we had a great time. Yes. Yes, you managed to get lots of work done on vacation, so... Yeah, about that. We did manage to get totally offline for a whopping 24 hours. I think that's a a new record for us, so that was pretty exciting. Um, But, I mean, as as I said at my coaching conference, doing this kind of work means that you don't really get to go offline that often. That's sort of the trade-off. And it's a pretty good one. I was generally pleased with our vacation situation. We tried surfing. Peter is naturally very good at it. I am naturally not. I don't know about very good, but we we were out in the water. Mm-hmm. We did it a couple times. So that we was, stood up. I don't know that we were the ones doing the, the 360s and so forth. But... I mean, I was going to lie for you and say... Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. Uh, definitely much nicer and warmer. I'd only try it up in like California and whatnot and of course being in Canada all the water seems to always be cold and I don't like cold water very Mm -hmm. much so uh, much easier to grasp the sport when the water is quite nice. Yeah when you're not really worried about falling off the board it's a lot easier to convince yourself to go for it on a wave for sure. Yeah so that was good and we did lots of walking and uh, lots of sand walking and running and Mm -hmm. yeah and your knee is is rehabbed vacation and a bit, bit of time off and yeah i mean i'm sure you'll it's knees and runners sort of go together but um yeah you seem to be doing better so a little bit of time off and mm-hmm. then a little bit of maybe change of loading on the sand and stuff too might have helped as well and i think being warm too to be honest because i think the cold just exacerbates like there are a lot of people with like arthritis and stuff that complain the cold weather hurts their joints more. So yeah, I think there's a lot of I'd have to look into that. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's there's something to that, but there's also a lot of confounding factors of people don't go outside and move as much as they do when it's warm. So yeah, there, true. There, there is that. So there's some back and forth on that for sure. Um, so what is your one thing that's particularly interesting to you this week? I don't know. I was sort of struggling on that. Um, Nothing is interesting. Life yeah, is boring. It's been good. It's been really good. Coaching-wise, it's busy, but uh, lots of really good conversations around strength training and, you know, why are we doing this? Some people really hate it and some people really love it. Some people are just really keen and then, you know, you have got, we have to be careful not to hurt ourselves. But uh, just conversations around that sort of we need to be moving and thinking about movement quality and how that relates back to, you know, maybe cycling. So I had a client in for a sort of assessment. I have people in and it looks, you know, sometimes it takes the form of a test, more of a bike fit. Sometimes, you know, we're off the bike doing more strength stuff, depending on what the person's dealing with. Um, And so just the conversation of how, you know, where our, our foot placement and stuff, how that then looks on the bike right we have a turned out foot when we're lunging or squatting you know and then we've developed this sort of knees caving in towards the top tube and then our knees are hurting um you know 
may or may not be related, but there's sort of these factors that then we can sort of assess on and off the bike. So uh, strength training is just a really cool tool that even goes beyond, you know, am I getting buff or, or toning my muscles for appearance? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of movement training, right, that comes out of that. So I think this week, my one thing is just, you know, moving and, and thinking about strength training uh, beyond just, you know, is this making me pedal a bike or run faster, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, I think now, last time we did this, you talked about grayscaling your phone. That's been your big thing on the phone. So Still doing it. I know, I know. Yeah. I figured this time I would give a phone one. And that is actually, I took the badges off of my email notification. So that seems really minor, but normally whether I'm running or in line at the grocery store or you know doing something else for work or whatever, if I open my phone and I see the badges there with a number, I have to go look and see what's going on in it. It'll drive me crazy if I don't. So taking the badges away, now I don't necessarily see, oh, I have new emails. So I found, you know, yesterday, the past few days, now that I took it off, when I'm running, if I do stop to, you know, check something on Strava or Google Maps or whatever, or take a picture, I don't see that number. So I don't get the urge to stop mid-run and check my email, which sounds like a thing a crazy person would do as I said it yeah, out loud. A little bit. Um, but I did it, right? Like that was a habit that I had because I saw that number. So taking away that number has actually really changed how often I'm kind of mindlessly reloading my email for no good reason. So I think that's a really good one because you're not taking it off of your phone. I'm not going like that extra step of my email is removed from my phone because I'm you know, trying really hard to be offline more. It's just made it a little bit less automatic as far as habits go yeah it's tough with all the notifications and you know things distracting us just in general right and we talked i think a bit last podcast maybe about deep work and just focusing on something right and that could be your workout and and just taking those hour or 90 minutes Mm -hmm. to focus on that and not have a phone dinging that you have a you know an instagram notification let alone an email or a call right um, yeah, so it's now very they... easy, even just with any of the technology, right? Like I, I always harp on clients that, you know, we could just get on the trainer or get on our bike or go for a run and not have any technology, right? There is that ability where we could just use our brains, mm-hmm. right? And just, this is a hard run. This is an easy run. This is, you know, use my stopwatch maybe as the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that sort of simplicity. Yeah. So now on my phone, the only notifications or badges that I have are just for texts. And even that, I've muted pretty much any. That's maybe my other one is muting group chats. Mm. I think a lot of us get stuck in them, you know, and they're not necessarily bad. We do want to look at them sometimes, but the phone just constantly buzzing is just yeah, so you, stressful. Yeah, you can't have that. That's crazy. So, yeah, I've been muting a lot of conversations. Um, so, yeah, that's that's our one thing. What about U.S. Nationals or today? You've done your predictions over on, uh, what is this called? Flow Bikes. Flow Bikes. Although by the time this airs, um, we're going to be behind. That's true. There's going to be a new national champion. But they'll be in the future and they'll know. So who did you pick? Uh, You're going to put that out there for everyone? Or is that a spoiler and they have to go check it out? It's a bit of a spoiler. You should go check out the the thing we did for Flow Bikes. I actually called Jeremy Powers as my dark horse winner for the men's race. Um, And I basically filibustered to avoid having to give my women's prediction because I think between Ellen and Katie Compton, it's going to be a pretty crazy race I'm anticipating. So hopefully by the time, you know, this episode comes out, I haven't been proven too wrong on either front, but... 
Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of other people that are having good years, too. Totally. I mean, Katie Keogh, obviously. Definitely. Uh, you never know. I don't know what the the weather is. It... It's a bit muddy there. Okay. Well, then it could. Anyth- she, any, anything yeah, can happen. Yeah, exactly. In the men's race, I'd say there's five guys who could take it. Well, it's been a weird year. I remember in Supercross, there for like indoor motorcycle racing, there was a year like that where like all the top people sort of had rough years and crashes and stuff like that. So and then, many ups and downs. And then there was a couple people that had like breakthrough years. And then even when the other guys came back, then there was just more people at the top because they had sort of gotten used to racing at the top mm-hmm. and wanted to defend that and stuff like that. So could be interesting. So Definitely. hopefully you watch that. If not, I hopefully there's a replay someplace. Yeah. You can check it out. But. So today's guest is actually not a cyclist. Uh, she's a runner. Uh, she goes by Jessie Zappo, although her full name is Jessica Zappatankini. Uh, she's out of New York, and she is an art therapist in addition to being this really cool urban run organizer. She's organized a bunch of different clubs and groups in New York City, whether it's unisex groups or women's only groups. Um, We talk a ton about kind of just all things with her running history and how she got into running, but then also, you know, how she's managed to organize these really successful running groups. Uh, Because that's not an easy thing to put together. It sort of sounds fairly simple, but I mean, Peter and I, can attest to this like we've been parts of a couple different running groups and stuff that just kind of fall off the radar after a couple weeks or you know a couple runs so it's a huge testament to her that she has several different groups that she runs on a weekly basis and you know different levels whether it's beginner runners she's got a few groups that are much more elite level like or elite amateur that actually travel to races Uh, So we talk all about going to races as a group and what that looks like, especially when you're kind of like the manager leader, but you're also a racer. Um, I think that's a really good one for a lot of parents, actually, who maybe go to races with their kids because their kids are racing, but they're racing as well. And, you know, how do you mentally, emotionally, physically handle that? Um, a lot of really interesting stuff there. Yeah, just even around logistics and stuff mm-hmm. like that, yeah. Yeah, and we also talk about running as sort of a, a version of run th- like run therapy, basically, because Jessie's main thing is art therapy, and now she's actually starting um, a business called Restorative Running, where she's doing more therapy through running, um, hmm. which I think is really interesting. A lot of, actually, there are some psychologists um, out in California that are doing sessions on the run hmm. i've heard of walking uh therapy stuff they do that at some universities and stuff mm-hmm. hmm. but yeah apparently running because it kind of makes you a bit more open and emotional i guess uh for some people anyway uh and like willing to share uh and it just fe- makes you feel more comfortable i guess yeah, I guess you'd have to have a requisite sort of fitness level, though. Oh, absolutely. It's it's not like for beginner runners, but right, right. Uh, for some people, that's just the easiest way to kind of get in a, a zone where they can feel comfortable chatting, which I find really interesting. I mean, I can say like I have some of my deepest conversations with friends when we're running or you know when we're sure. riding together. So I think there's a lot of merit to that. Yeah, there's definitely something with exercising. I think we've talked about how I don't know if I would be riding anymore if it weren't for like long days, just sort of talking back and forth with with friends and stuff and how I think it's tough for some people, especially not to harp on technology, but, you know, in these days, so Mm -hmm. to speak, 
uh, it's less and less common, right? So these things like run groups and in, in actual run groups in person, mm-hmm. uh, and then like you say, uh, maybe even some therapy or, or informal, informal therapy, just sort of talking to friends on, on some sort of exercise expedition. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let Jesse explain more of that. Let's dive in. First kind of question I had is like, if someone comes up to you and says, what do you do? How do you answer it? I mean, I assume it depends on context, but say someone like in a running outfit came up and said, what do you do? How do you describe yourself? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I feel that I wear a lot of hats, even in running, I wear a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess the easiest way is for me to say, well, I'm an artist and I'm a runner. Um, but then to go deeper into that, it's that I, I'm a licensed creative art therapist. I've been doing that for 13 years in New York City. Um, I'm a running coach, and I've had that identity for the last um, four years or so. Um, And I've just been kind of known in the running community as having built some of the different run um, crews in New York City in the urban running community over the last decade or so um, and been behind a number of different projects. So I would say now that I'm like a creative person who uses art and running um, to provide wellness tools to other people and also um, to really sort of address societal um, issues that I see or have experienced. I love that. Um, and so one of the phrases you use is one that I keep seeing kind of over and over whenever I'm looking anything up about you. And that's the idea of this urban running community. So what exactly does that mean? Yeah. You know, I think that phrase kind of, um, was birthed about 15, 10, 15 years ago when um, this group emerged that's called the New York City Bridge Runners. And they were really an alternative take on what traditional run groups were. Um, I happened to stumble onto them in their inception um, because it was started by a nightlife guy. And I worked in... I was a bartender and I worked in the restaurant industry. And so I, we came across each other in a not athletic context whatsoever. (laughs) And he was starting this, um, I don't even know, maybe he said run club or like I'm doing this running thing. Um, but he was someone who you would look at and think he was like the furthest from athletic, um, just based off his appearance. And it was interesting to me. Um, And essentially what he was doing was like getting people that worked, kind of worked in the creative industries or like nightlife to get together and run across the bridges in lower Manhattan. And I think early on he 
got Nike involved from sort of from the inception and they were interested in this idea that like people who were non runners might want to run. And, um, and honestly, it just was so different than what was happening with like traditional track clubs or sort of amateur adult groups of runners. Um, And it really brought together such a wide range of people who were every shape and size and um, really diverse um, ethnically and socioeconomically. And it kind of just became this like alternative movement of people who were, I guess, would probably never call themselves a runner. Um, Mm -hmm. And the thread and the reason why it it was called urban running or people definitely referred to it as urban running was that we also weren't running in traditional spaces where runners would be. So we would start um, on the street somewhere. I remember the first time I showed up, it was like a tiny park in Chinatown. Um, There's no bag check. There's no, water there's nothing sort of like denoting this run group except for like a couple of guys like standing there and we ran across one bridge into Brooklyn and then kind of got made our way to the other bridge and came back and it was always about like running in the street or um, running through neighborhoods where you wouldn't want to walk through, um, Mm -hmm. especially like maybe by yourself. And it became this real exploration of New York City. Um, And I think in particular that group, it was like, you know, people who'd never ran before or um, maybe they hadn't done sports in many years, getting together, running through the streets. Um, Sometimes the groups would, be really big like it built it built a following after a while and so you know we could flex up to like 200 people running through the streets and that was always surprise passerby and we could also be a group of like four or five people just like running through a sketchy neighborhood and um it just was really different than what was happening at the time and I think we were doing it um and then like years later we discovered like oh there's also groups kind of popping up in these other cities like london and paris and copenhagen um and that they're kind of have the same sort of vibe they're non-traditional people running and they're running using the urban environment as their um as their track Mm -hmm. or their gym and yet we all had sort of a different take on it because each city is different and, you know, culturally um, people were different, but yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you, it's more ubiquitous now. Like you see people running around every neighborhood everywhere in New York city now, which is really cool. Um, and you see every type of person running, but, but back then, um, you know, I would see people maybe in Prospect Park, um, Central Park for sure, but like you just weren't seeing people like running through the streets. 
Yeah. Okay, so I'm interested in the differences between the cities, especially since you just came back from London. So if you had to describe like New York urban running versus London urban running, what how would you describe both of them? Oh yeah. So um I'm putting so you on the cool. spot here. <laughs> no, it's it's perfect timing actually because I when I was out there I got to connect with um Charlie Dark, who is the founder of Rundum Crew, who's a good friend of mine. And then our other friend, Jay Smith from Paris Run Club, was there also. And um, actually, Nils from the Speed Project was there. So it was like this kind of, I wasn't expecting it to be this meeting of like all these sort of big personalities in running right now. Um, so it was cool. We had some opportunities to run together in London and um, I think I did maybe like in the five days I was there I probably did like six runs like a couple of days we like ran twice and I was remarking about how like you know sometimes people come to New York and they're like oh my god it's so crazy here and I was thinking wow in London it's so crazy here yeah. um, because you can't really run in the street and the streets are really narrow. The sidewalks are super narrow. There's cobblestones everywhere. We ran in the morning and at night. And morning actually was better super early because I think, like, where we were at um, in Shoreditch, like, pub life is so prevalent that, like, folks are out really late at night, like, kind of partying. But mm -hmm. then early in the morning, nobody's out. Yeah. So like the, the early run was really dope, but like the night runs were so precarious because you're just dodging bikes and people. And if you like stepped into the street, like might get hit by a bus. Um, we ran along the canals for a little bit and that was like super cool because it was really dark. And um, at the same time, like one of the girls running with us, like stepped funny and like almost fell into the canal because <laughs> you're like right there. Um, yep. And I was just thinking, I was like, whoa, this is so different. And even, you know, like obviously London and New York are different. I mean, there's similarities, but I was thinking about how you have to just adapt to wherever you're at. And the London crew, like random crew had a really nice way of getting like a hundred people to run together. And that was, they broke them into smaller groups and then the smaller groups each had different routes and they used different routes to get to the same meeting point. And they met like halfway through the run at one point, like everyone was coming from a different direction. And then cool. they met at that point and then they left and went back. And then people were just running in all directions, but they knew where they were going based off of the, the group leaders um, and like the specific routes. And I was like, wow, this is like such a cool take on running and super different than like what we do here in New York. Um, yeah. And I love that. Like I love that so much of it is about adapting to your environment. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the canals. We were in London right around this time last year, and we almost had the exact same, like, almost falling in. And I'm always amazed that they don't have, like, in New York, there'd be railings everywhere, right? Like, you'd have to work to fall in. 
but there right it's just like nope you just step wrong and you're sliding down yep yep (laughs) yeah we also almost got smoked by several buses just based on the driving on the other side of the road thing and it's such a cliche but it's such a hard thing to get used to (laughs) it's so hard to get used to Um, i mean there's a there's a reason why they put look left look right on the ground (laughs) yeah Okay, so when you first kind of got involved with the Bridge Runners back in 2005, I mean, who were you as a runner at that point? I would say that I was a former athlete who would jog around to kind of stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that because growing up, I was super into sports. Um, I had five brothers. Uh, my dad was very sporty. Like we spent actually most of our summers, um, outdoors, like doing everything we'd had. And there was, I had a big family, so we, we could have our own kickball game with just the kids. Um, or we would play softball or we would run around, um, did everything. And I, when I was towards the end of my senior year of high school was like, had an opportunity to get a college scholarship to play volleyball, um, at some different, uh, like division two schools. And I just ended up like going in a really different direction and saying like, you know what, I want to go to art school. Um, and I felt like if I went to art school, I had to, kind of let go of being an athlete um and you actually kind of do have to do that because a lot of art schools like don't have sports teams or athletics um and they if they do they certainly don't really cater like like studio time to um being able to practice sports so um I went to art school and I just kind of like always kept running as something that I did for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would always be a solo pursuit for me because like I ran track and field and that was definitely like a group running activity, but I wasn't like a cross country runner. Um, I, you know, I wasn't like in a run club after that. And so like, if I did go out, it would be just like jog something by myself. And then that was it. Um, so when I heard about bridge runners, it was actually through Mike Sace, who was the, um, the leader. And he asked me like a couple times, like, Hey, like, should come out to this group. And I guess maybe he looked at me and thought like, she looks a little bit sporty or something, (laughs) or he was just, or he was just recruiting like whoever. Um, but I, at that point in time, I actually had been living near prospect park and I would go to the park as like my quiet time for myself. And I would run the loop, which just happened to be like a 5k. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have to say like, no, I didn't start from zero. Um, when I went to bridge runners, I had like enough of a fitness level that I could run one lap of prospect park. But, um, 
I definitely did not consider myself a runner and I had never really had the courage to like join up with other groups of runners. Like it just wasn't on my like radar. Yeah. So, um, the very first time I went out with bridge runners, the run was like over four miles and I'd never ran that far before. And I honestly like could not have ever conceptualized myself running more than three miles. I don't even know if I knew I was running three miles, like when I would go to Prospect Park. You know, like that was back, like nobody was tracking runs back then. I don't right. think there were even like trackers. So uh, like yeah, it didn't even, right. you know, like it didn't occur to me. Like I definitely wasn't like timing it or like, I don't even know if I knew it was 5K. So I remember that first run and like it just being so hard. And when I finished it, I was like, wow, I just did something, (laughs) something, you know, like it was crazy. I don't know. It was like, it really opened up a door opened. Yeah. And I mean that team versus solo element of it too. Did you find that you liked running with other people? Like, so yes. And I mean, I, I think it got, obviously sort of built off of that. But the first time I showed up, it was three guys (laughs) and and me. And, you know, I was like, oh shit, like what am I doing? I I had no idea. Like, I didn't know like who was going to be there or if it's going to be a big group or whatever, but it was just these three dudes. And I was like, okay, well I'm here now. Like I can't like flip away they've already seen me yeah <laughs> um so I have to do it and you know there's a competitive side in me for sure which was like I have to keep up with them mm-hmm. and so I remember just like also you don't know like I didn't know anything about pacing or like what a pace was I just was like ran as fast as I could to try to like keep up with them and I think I one, I enjoyed feeling like I just, like, accomplished something, but it, I, it kind of required the chase. And two, actually, like, they were just so nice to me. Like, they were really encouraging. Like, even though it seemed intimidating at the beginning, like, showing up, they were so happy that I came that they were, like, I remember – safe like waiting at the top of the bridge just being like come on like you can do it and like waiting for me and um you know it just from the beginning like it felt like they were so so stoked that I was there um and then I you know I think there was like a period of me sort of unlocking like okay what am I capable of through this group but then that transitioned into me being like, hey, there, other people can be new also. And like I I was in the back in the beginning because I was fast. I mean, not fast. I was slow. <laughs> I was slower. <laughs> um, slower than everyone else. So I started in the back. And then you like get faster. And then there's other people in the back. And I was always kind of interested in like those people. Mm-hmm. Um, like could I help encourage them um and so I just sort of naturally grew into what later I would be called 
as Bridge Mom. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because, like, I, growing up, I was the oldest of eight kids, so I definitely took on mom roles um, from a teenage um, point in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's funny now, because I'm, like, almost 40, like, thinking about people calling me bridge mom back when I was like 26. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't like even that old, but I think it was my, this sort of like persona where I would welcome new people and I would try to like take people under my wing and like make sure they're okay and looking out for anyone who is struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later doing lots of the like kind of administrative stuff. Like I was, when we first got, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, like I was like running all of those platforms for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely had this sort of motherly role in the bridge runners. Um, yeah. And then, from early on. Yeah. So, and then you shifted eventually and you started the girls run NYC program. So, I mean, clearly you got bored of running with I mean, I know Bridgewater's grew, but from that three dudes, you then started a thing that was for women. So how did that come about? Yeah, so um, there a couple things happened in between. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I'm trying to read through. I was like, oh, my God, she started so many different cool things and been part of so many cool groups. I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, for me, I think, one, if you think about it, it was a lot of time. Um, since 2005, like a lot of a lot of years have gone by. So, even though it seems like a lot of projects, it was happening where, like, I was with Bridge Runners for seven years, mm-hmm. and which actually, when I think about it, I'm like, damn, seven years, like super consistent. That's a long time, yeah. and. I think I really, um, you know, kind of grew and evolved in that group. And one of the things that I really became passionate about was like, hey, you know, this group gets people to run who would never have ever ran before. But then there's like the next evolution, which is that they're like, okay, now I'm getting kind of fit. Maybe I'm faster what else can I do? And people were getting excited about like joining races or like setting goals for themselves, like running a half marathon. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were doing that just kind of like piecing it together, like running, you know, as far as they could on a Wednesday night, which was our runs. And then like joining a half marathon. Right. So some people, you know, like people were running like once a week and then doing a half. Um, And so I was like, hey, you know what? There's ways to train, and I'm interested in, like, doing that. And, you know, I ran a bunch of half marathons off of not a lot of training, and I kind of thought maybe there could be something more. And so we just started this kind of training program within Bridge Runners, and specifically at that time, there was the Nike women's race series and there was a race that happened that was a full and a half marathon in San Francisco. And I heard about it and I was like, I want to do that. And so I was like, all right, cool. Like 
let's see if we can get some slots to do it. And because we were associated to the brand, they were like, sure. So the first year, I think they gave us like three, three or four slots. So like four of us trained and like went out and did it. And it was fun. And then I was like, okay, like, let's do that again and see if we can get more people to do it. And so the second year, we got, I think, seven or eight slots. And so we just asked a bunch of the women in the group um, who would like to train for a marathon and go, let's go to San Francisco. And so we had, I think we had maybe two people who had done a, a marathon before, but like the majority had never done one. And so it was like really exciting to create a training program for those women and to train up to the race and then go out and do it. Mm -hmm. And it also, I think that was like really the impetus for me to start Black Roses um, was this idea that like, hey, we can actually watch people get better and we can like help people get better. Um, but it requires commitment yeah, and it requires consistency. And like with the bridge runner model, which was their phrase is like, just show up. Um, which is amazing because yes, it got so many people to just show up and not worry about showing up. Mm -hmm. And then for me, the second step was like, okay, and now like, let's get commitment and consistency. And so um, I decided to leave Bridge Runners and start Black Roses. And I was also working with Knox Robinson at the time because he had joined the Bridge Runners that year. And um, we kind of formulated what we thought it would be, which was to create this um, training season that essentially people would commit to a season and that would be six months. And um, we would give them like a weekly training plan leading up to goal races and that it would be a small group of people. So we didn't want it to be like hundreds of people. We kept it at 25. Um, and that was like the, the beginning of Black Roses. And to be fair, I wanted it to be a women's group. Um, <laughs> and it didn't turn out that way. Um, but that was my thought because I was really into the training that we had done for San Francisco. Um, but then Knox was like, hey, I want to like add some guys in so we have some guys to train with. And so basically we said all right let's make it 15 sorry this, i'm right by like a high school just now getting out of school oh, dear. Um, i'm walking away so yeah we we said 15 15 women and 10 men and i was like really adamant that the ratio be more women to men because i wanted it to feel like a sort of like equal training space and I also, you know, side note was that bridge runners and a lot of other kind of these urban run groups have mostly male leadership mm -hmm. and can also tend to feel like cool guy groups, sure. which like is cool 
and I don't have a problem with cool guy groups because I le- enjoyed being there, but it also can sometimes be a barrier to women joining. Um, yeah, for sure. And, it's, and it, can, it can become really competitive, too, in a way that might not feel welcoming to women. So, so with Black Roses, it was like kind of striking that balance and then, yeah, I did two years of Black Roses, so that was like four seasons um, of training. And, you know, with that evolution, um, I ultimately was like, you know what, I just want a women's, I want a women's group. Like the co-ed um, space was awesome, and I, you know, loved loved being in that space, but I, I always had like this nagging desire to create just a women's space Mm -hmm. and that was girls run yeah (laughs) um so when did that that started in 2015 it did yes okay so what Um, did starting that look like did you actually shut down black roses and then start it were you trying to balance the two at the same time or what did it look like no, so so essentially what happened, um, and I'll also say that in between there was another group that I started <laughs> called The Breakfast Club. Which I also um, loved. I looked up that one and fantastic. <laughs> yes, Breakfast Club is by far like one of the most interesting sort of like creative spaces that I've had to be in, which I we're always talking about like resurrecting it, but it's kind of been like, it's been a little bit like loose, but anyways, that's another story. Um, so girls run, basically what happened was that there was a really big shift in the urban running community. Um, that summer that I left black roses and part of the shift was that a lot of groups had actually sprung up, um initially there was only bridge runners and when we decided to like break off and start black roses people were so surprised and kind of like scandalized they were just like what like how can there how can there be another like urban running group and um you know it was it was controversial and then within probably a short amount of time um people just started creating their own groups Mm -hmm. and, you know, people splintered off and like all these groups started popping up. Like we ran uptown. Um, There's now like tons of groups. There's resident runners has been around for a while. Um, There's, you know, now like every borough has multiple run crews. Um, But at the time it was, it was weird and people were kind of like, why would you do that? Um, And so a lot of these different kind of small groups popped up around different figures and neighborhoods. And um, many of them were sponsored or associated to this one brand, um, which was sort of like the overarching umbrella that kept everyone together um and then i think 
there was sort of a fracture um, in the running community and people started kind of breaking away from each other. Um, a lot of times this happens when different brands like kind of pop up and get involved. Um, yeah. But I, I just really felt like I was not connecting with Black Roses anymore. Um, it had changed from what I initially wanted it to be, which was a sort of like safe space for training and training folks who were non-traditional people um, and giving them like this sort of running culture experience. Um, like we did a lot of stuff around traveling and, um, and I just got disillusioned with it. And so I decided to step away, um, and just handed over leadership to Knox. Um, and I didn't do anything <laughs> for probably like close to four or five months. And I ran by myself. Um, but I was struggling. I actually hadn't, what was interesting is that I hadn't ran alone in a really long time. And I realized I had been like leading all of these groups and bringing people together through running and no longer had sort of my own running practice. Right. Um, and so I just started running by myself and, um, there were other things going on in my life at the same time, um, career-wise, relationship-wise. And it was one of those moments where I just was, like, feeling kind of lost, um, feeling a bit like, what is the next step for me? Mm -hmm. And um, I did, like, a cross-country road trip. <laughs> I left a job I'd been at for 10 years. I was like all over the place and just um, needed to step away from, from leading something. And mm -hmm. so I took some time for myself. And in that time, I had people who said to me, they were like, you know, um, Jesse, like why why do you feel like you have to always like partner with someone else? Um, why don't you ever like consider just doing something, you know, for you? And um, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, uh, I think that the right thing for me to do is stick with what feels like is really important to me, which really was, getting women to run mm -hmm. and giving sort of sharing running with them. And so I just started doing a series called um, girls run with me. And I decided I wanted to do it as a pop-up and I was really hesitant to give it a name because I, I knew, especially with like other projects, like as soon as I named something, it like becomes a thing. Right. And I was like, I don't want to create another run crew. I don't want to, you know, be, you know, taking people away from 
things they're already doing, but I do want to create a space where women can come together. And so this pop-up runs, I started it actually like late December. So it was like terrible weather, (laughs) super snowy. And I just was like, whatever, I'm just going to like make a flyer as if it's sort of like party promoter style. I'll make a flyer. I'll put it on Facebook. Oh, no, sorry. That's a lie. Not Facebook. Instagram. I put it on Instagram. Yeah. And I was just like, come run with me if you're, if you are a woman or a girl. And like the first run, I think like 14 or 18 people showed up and I was like, Oh, okay. Like people are, people do want to run with me and also women want to be in a women's space. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just kept doing it, but on a pop-up basis, and I um, did some stuff where I, like, partnered with this guy who was a restaurateur, and we did, like, a, a run where he made food that he thought that was plant-based that he thought would be good for runners, and we just tried it. I was just creative about it and tried to, like, just no rules, make it fun, no brand affiliation. I was like, this is going to be grassroots. It's just going to be what I want to do. And I'm just going to invite like every single woman that I know. And, um, within like, I would say December, January, February, like within like two and a half months, you know, um, it had already made like a big impact and we had this opportunity to sign up for a race in Toronto that was a women's race. Um, and we had, I think like 20 women that wanted to do it. So we put 20 women on this training plan and people were like, well, you need to have a name. It's a group. So that's when, um, that's when I called it girls run NYC. And, um, it's just since then evolved, um, into this, women's community and I like to call it a women's collective because it's not a run crew um you know it's an open space even though there are some people that are diehard (laughs) girls run women um it's it's really meant to provide the hopefully the least amount of barriers to running Mm -hmm. um and I want it to be a space that's approachable um, and so I guess for me in running, it's always been about trying to evolve, like the idea of what's happening in running. And then I think to look for what's missing. Mm-hmm. And so every time I like worked on a project, it was always about like trying to create something where something was missing. Um, so yeah, that, that was what girls run was, um, with that that. sort of next evolution. Thanks. Um, and then, okay. So for yourself too, I mean, so bridge runners was originally a Nike supported thing. So it was black roses. And now you're actually with Adidas runners and Adidas women. How did that happen? Or when did that happen? Yeah. So, um, it it happened when I broke free from my Nike affiliated groups um, and 
just said, you know what, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to do this grassroots um, thing. And I think it also happened to be a moment where women's fitness was like really at the forefront of what people wanted in marketing. Mm -hmm. And so I just happened to be like also running probably one of the only women's only workouts and it's funny because like even in the last like four years like the landscape for women has changed so much we have like things like the wing now that weren't didn't exist then and there's so much more acceptance of women's circles and like women's only spaces it's very much like you know important today but at the time not so much um, which is kind of funny, actually. And so people were like, people took notice that I had a women's only space and that there were quite a number of women like turning up um, to this space and that the space itself, even though it is designed around running, it's really, it is like a women's community. Um, and so I think Adidas women took notice of that because they were beginning to build this um, group of what they call creators, which are women in the sort of fitness sphere. Um, and they reached out to me and um, I started working with Adidas women. And it, it really was interesting because it was like me meeting women from many different fitness backgrounds. Um, some of them being like, former competitive soccer players or people who are into boxing or cycling instructors or yogis. And even though running is kind of my sport of choice, I sort of fit into this like versatile athlete range. Um, and so it felt like a really nice community to be in at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and different than what I had been doing before, in with Nike. So I was very heavily in this women's space from Adidas women, from girls run, um, for a couple of years. And it was interesting, um, to really just be like in women's fitness. Yeah. And after doing that for a couple of years, they, um, they decided they were going to launch Adidas runners in New York city. And they asked me, if I wanted to be a part of it. And it was interesting because I was like, oh my God, I haven't like coached people in the co-ed community. I haven't even been running with guys in a while. You know, it was like a really interesting like idea to me to like enter back into that space. Um, but I, it seems like people like to make noise on purpose when yeah, they right. see you on the phone. <laughs> like this guy is like slowly rolling by with loud music on, or like the teenagers were like having a loud conversation oh, standing sure. in front of me. Yeah. It's like really interesting. Um, so yeah, I joined Adidas runners and, um, I entered in as a coach and actually the coach, um, for the project. And I've been working with them now for a year. And 
it's been it's been a really cool experience also being with this like global brand because they have they've got this running community in 62 cities around the world um but we're just now like creating the north america landscape of what that looks like so it's interesting for me to be in that position having had over a decade of running getting close to 14 years of running um in new york and then sort of reimagining how that can look again yeah and we actually had we had a conference when i was in london last week um the theme around this like two-day workshop was like what do you think the what is the future of running or what do you think the future of running is um, and so that was super interesting to me because I, having seen a lot of the past and present or been involved in creating a lot of the past and present, it's always a challenge to think like how you can keep innovating or like keep being relevant um, in a sport that's really old and like actually just very um, natural. Like I think it's so natural for people to run something you do when you're a baby. (laughs) Like as soon as you can, as soon as you can stand upright, you're like, babies want to run. So it's interesting thinking about like how that can evolve. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I think what's interesting too, though, is, I mean, you also, so you're talking about all of these races and stuff, but we haven't really talked about the fact that you also race in these right like you're not just bringing women to these marathons and like saying like okay i'll see you guys at the finish line like you're competing too how do you balance being sort of this like figurehead but then also doing your training and you know actually doing this whole distance racing thing yeah (laughs) yeah you know what that's it thank you for asking that (laughs) um because it's really hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because, like, you know, one of the things we were talking about and that I think is interesting is that um, I think coaching has changed. And, and what's different about coaching now, to me, is that coaches are, like, also fully in it. Like, if, you, if I look around, like, the community of run coaches in New York city, like for the most part there, a lot of them are still competing. A lot of them Mm -hmm. are still fit. Um, it's not like the, like when I was in high school, the fat guy smoking cigarettes, Yeah. like, you know, like, and so what's interesting is like thinking about how this new generation of coaches is like very fully committed to like, being active also, um, that that to me is super inspiring. Um, and it also like is a big responsibility in even another way, which is that like, I, the way that I like to coach is to also be out there running alongside of you. And so that's hard. (laughs) Um, it, it partially for me and I, I talk about this too with people. It's like every, race or marathon for me is not the finish line because I have to keep being able to run. 
like I don't want to be like riding a bike alongside of my runners Mm -hmm. like when they're doing their workout and I also don't want to be like at the start and the end like sort of being like let me know how it goes yeah um like I want to be in there with them and so like when I go out for a marathon I'm thinking okay I want to feel good I want to feel strong um I want to have a nice race but I also cannot be injured um I can't I can't like push it that hard because I need to be able to run like the week after and I need there. It's not the finish line for me. There's a lot more. Um, and so for me, I'm like, I like to say I'm super conservative, um, which is that I know I pretty much know what my body's capable of, um, at this point. And so for me, I train, I try to train smart. Um, I tried to do a lot of stuff to make sure I'm like, getting my recovery in and I'm not overdoing it. And also that like, yeah, I want to be, I still do want to be out racing. Like I don't want to, I don't want to be on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard because sometimes I'll be like, damn, I just did my long run, like super slow. Cause I'm running with other people mm-hmm. and it's important to me for those people. But now like, I'm not going to be able to race at what I would like to run because all my training was not at, at the pace that I want to be at. So it's like, it's that give and take where you're like, well, ultimately most of these races are not for me. It's for the team or it's for the community. And so I, it's a give and take. Um, But then on the flip side, what I've, come to the conclusion is that also I need to have races that are just for me mm-hmm. and I need to sort of strategically place those in my life where I can do that on my own and still have that relationship which is just for me and I think that that's you know that's a goal yeah. is to do that more yeah for sure so I think it's funny that you even talk, like even say, you know, that you have to race conservatively now because I think to race conservatively actually still like I'd say is almost requires you to be in better shape than to race hard in a lot of ways. Because to be able it's to different. race a marathon conservatively is I mean, still racing a marathon and also racing it with the intention of smiling the entire way through and being emotionally like capable at the end of like you know, being positive. I'm, I'm not right. someone you can talk to at the end of something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's right. hard. So It's know, hard. Even the emotional part. Oh my God. It's well, it's funny cause it's hard no matter how you slice it. Yeah. Right. Um, it was really interesting in Berlin this year because people, we took like a lot of folks out from New York to race and people have been training really hard and you know some people had really great days some people did not um I'd say a lot of people were kind of surprised that they didn't like PR in the way that maybe they thought they would or should and so there was like this really interesting conversation around Berlin where people are just like how was it like was it awesome did you like kill it like or even like before people were like you're gonna like 
have the fastest race of your life or whatever. And at the end, I was like, you know what? Like, just because it's a flat course or like world records are here doesn't make it not a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's still really hard. And yeah. like, you know, like just because it's quote unquote fast course doesn't mean that like you're going to take 30 minutes off your previous time. You know, it's just really like interesting, yeah. like sort of having conversations with people around what can happen on marathon day. And, the the answer is it's as different as every person is different. Mm-hmm. Like anything can happen. Um, and so, yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's challenging. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And so the last thing I kind of wanted to bring up is I know you just did a talk. I think of it, was it last night or the night before last night um, about finding balance between you know, working hard, but also the whole idea of self-care, which I know is such a buzzword, but nonetheless, <laughs> it's an important yeah. one. So let's talk about it. What were some of your, your top tips that you were giving the audience when you had this talk last night? Yeah, so it was really something I'm pretty passionate about because I am a mental health professional, um, although I like to... I like to think of myself as a wellness professional mm-hmm. um, because I think, I think there's a big difference between like the community of mental health, which in America especially is very much focused on people being sick mm-hmm. and there's something wrong with them. Um, and the difference between like wellness, which is actually more of a strengths-based approach, which is that people are adaptive and they're, ways to adapt to things which can be healthy or unhealthy. And so um, giving people the tools and skills to be their best self is more of how I see myself as a wellness person. So, so I was super inspired to like talk about one being an entrepreneur, um, which is hard and it's challenging and it's scary And then how do you do that and also still take care of yourself at the same time? Um, And so I think we talked a lot about just the challenges of being an entrepreneur, Um, especially our panel was all women. So I think we're also specifically coming from that lens of like also being an entrepreneur as a woman, which means that you're stepping outside of traditional like gender roles um, and you're taking leaps to sort of trust in yourself to create income um, when it's not that the comfort of maybe a nine to five. Um, so some of the stuff I talked about was the importance of having a community around you. Um, I think I, feel that I've worked really hard in my life, but it's not accurate to say, I couldn't say that I was self-made because it is really like relationships that kind of get you to different places in life and no one can get somewhere by themselves. So really acknowledging like the important relationships in my life and nurturing them Um, has been super important for how I've even been able to get where I am today 
um, being mindful to, I think, curate your inner circle of people and kind of have people around you who maybe are doing the same thing or have the same interests or also like truly, um, you know, passionate about what they do and also supportive about what you do um, because it can feel kind of lonely and isolating when you're like starting a business or like starting something mm-hmm. um, on your own. And um, I think we talked a lot about how to recognize if you're maybe doing too much, mm-hmm. which I think is like, especially if you work for yourself or you're creating something like, it's hard to say like, okay, these are the hours that I'm working on this project. And then it ends at a certain time. Like you, I feel like I'm working seven days a week and I'm always on. And so like, how do you recognize when to turn off or like when to shut off or when you're doing too much? Um, So we kind of talked about, having those warning signs, like getting sick. Like a lot of times our bodies are a really great indicator mm-hmm. um, that we've done too much when you start to get sick um, or even just have, like, again, sort of having that circle of people around you who are honest with you, who can say like, hey, um, are you taking care of yourself? Like, have you... Um, you know, done something for yourself today. Um, I definitely have like some women in my inner circle that are like, Hey, you're doing too much. (laughs) Or like, are you okay? Are you sleeping? Um, and I think that those are for me, like keys to like really being able to be successful. It's like cultivating those people that, are in your life that you trust. Um, And then, you know, a lot of it too is about, for me, about like digital, digital detoxing. And um, it's hard because like, I really, I do like technology and I like using it. Um, And I'm probably can owe a lot of my project success to being like early adopters (laughs) of technology and being able to like use social media, um, Mm -hmm. fairly well. Um, but there's, you know, there should be limits and no one's giving those limits. Like you have to figure what they are. Mm -hmm. Um, so really like developing some routines around when the phone goes off, when it goes away, when you're not looking at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And even, like, little things, like, it can't be the first thing I look at in the morning. Like, there's got to be time that goes by. I need to drink water first. I need to, like, use the bathroom first. Like, there need to be other things so it's not just, like, wake up and go to sleep what's happening on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, I think we kind of talked also about um, something that I do believe in and I've like said this before in regards to running and I think it applies to also like careers and and life is that don't wait until you're ready because 
you'll never be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll never know if you're ready. And so just whatever it is that you're really like wondering to do, like you should just start and not worry so much that you're not going to be good at it or that like it's not the right time or that you're not perfect because one thing I have learned from even working with major brands or like having mentors in my life who seem really successful or who are really successful is that nobody ever really has their shit together. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really freeing when you realize that because then you can just do stuff and you will get better at it. But if you don't just start, like it's not going to happen. Yes, absolutely. Oh, there's so many good pieces of advice. See, people seem to think self-care is just this like mud mask idea. So really excited to talk about actual good, useful things. I know. And you're right. It's a buzzword. But I'm also just super happy that it's trendy. Yeah, And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like some of the stuff that's trendy right now. Sometimes you're just like, oh, my God, I've been doing this for 20 years. And now it's trendy. Yeah. But like at at the same time, like, thank God it's trendy. Like, we need people to be taking care of themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think, actually, in a weird way, stuff like this tends to be more acceptable in, I'd say, in urban areas in the city more. And, like, I don't know. I live, at the moment, more out in the country. And it feels like, if you say self-care, people out here kind of, like, scoff at it because it feels like more of, like, a city thing. But I'm hoping that it's starting to get out here and into consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I there. actually, I, you know, before this call, I was on another call about a panel that I'll be doing um, at Wanderlust next week. And one of the women um, brings yoga to, like, kids um, in like a rural neighborhood in Texas and she was talking about how even like they can't use they don't use the term yoga Mm -hmm. because it's not like sort of culturally like um relevant or appropriate in for the kids that they want to reach and so they call it like mindful movement or something different but even sort of thinking about how like wellness or self-care very much has this sort of luxury aspect to it now and like exactly like yeah like being healthy is the new rich and it's just you know it's unfortunate if that is limiting to people and I hope that I hope we like think of other ways to like talk about it and um, make it something that's approachable because my family lives in the Midwest and actually some of them live in Texas. And I think part of the reason why I'm so into being healthy is like just having watched my family be really unhealthy and like seeing my dad struggling with congestive heart failure and having diabetes and all of those things being lifestyle related mm-hmm. and it hurts me. And I know also know like no amount of me nagging him to stop smoking 
will ever get him to stop smoking. Mm -hmm. But like, maybe if my siblings see me being really healthy, it would influence them to think that they could also be healthy. And so I think that's a big motivator for me too, is like, I want to be, I want to be just a regular person who's healthy that other people are like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. And it's not like unattainable. Mm -hmm. I love that. Awesome. All right. Where can everyone find you on the interwebs? So probably the most up-to-date place would be um, on my Instagram, which is Jesse Zappo. Um, I also tweet from the same handle, Jesse Zappo. Um, And I have a website, jessiezappo.com. So Um, easy. It's so easy. I try to make, I try to streamline it. Um, But also I, a project that I'm starting now is um, called restorative running. And I'm starting um, a practice that involves movement and art therapy together. So, yeah, so that's getting off the ground now. So that, that'll be something to kind of watch for, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out here. Very cool. And that'll all be in the show notes. Awesome. This was so much fun chatting with you. I'm so glad we got to talk. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, You can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week. <laughs>